And I want you to open a Bible with me. The Bible is our guide as Christians. And so there's one right there in the pew in front of you. We're going to turn to John chapter 20. We're going to focus on a few verses that, that take us to the evening of that first Easter Sunday. But, I, but I'm going to begin at the very beginning of chapter 20 in our reading. And so if you're looking around for that in the Bible that's right there in front of you, it's on page 1074. And the big number 20 is where I'm going to start, the beginning of the chapter, the announcement that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started running for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from, the, from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the announcement of good news. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that as we hear this word announced to us, that your spirit would be at work, 
that as Jesus breathed his spirit on his followers, that, that we who follow after Jesus would, would have our eyes enlightened, our minds brought to understanding of the truth of what we see. Lord, for those that are here with, with doubts, with questions, those that are, that are here out of obligation or, or duty, those that are here out of curiosity, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show them the truth of the gospel. Lord, we rejoice in the privilege we have of gathering in worship today. We pray for, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom have already gathered in worship on this day. Lord, we pray particularly for those who, who gather at great risk to themselves. Lord, we pray with the church in Sri Lanka. As churches have been bombed this morning, as Christians have died in Easter worship, Lord, we pray that resurrection hope would be announced there and around the world. Lord, that the hope of Jesus Christ would transform us, that we, emboldened by the gospel, would be, would be, would be burdened to announce this good news to others, that we'd be excited and rejoice in the good news that has come that Jesus Christ is not dead, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Nick and Ruth Ripken served as missionaries in East Asia. They had traveled from their home in Kentucky with the support of, of local churches so that others would hear the good news of what Jesus had done. Even though their ministry had been challenging, they were encouraged because God was opening doors, even in Somalia, during a time in which even aid groups struggled to enter the country. And so Easter in East Africa, they were stationed in Nairobi, Kenya. Easter in East Africa brought with it the hope of, East, uh, the hope of resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But for the Ripken family, Easter 1997 began much too early. At 1.30 a.m., their 16-year-old son, Timothy, stumbles into his parents' bedroom. He is struggling to breathe, so his father grabs the epinephrine pen that, that they keep and stabs him in the leg. With no discernible difference, he follows the instructions the doctor had given them the year before and takes a second pen and injects him with epinephrine. The doctor's warning had been that not only did Timothy have trouble breathing, but that if he had a, an episode, that his heart would be put at risk. So Nick rushes his son to the car, begins the frantic drive to the hospital, leaving Ruth at home with their other sons. On the way to the hospital, Tim goes into cardiac arrest and stops breathing. And so, so Nick, his father, stops the car. On the deserted streets of Nairobi, he sees one man leaving a, a storefront. And so he pulls over and blocks this man's car in so that he has nowhere to go and, and jumps out and says, to take the wheel, drive us to the hospital so that he can climb into the back seat and begin CPR on his son. Timothy begins to breathe again. His heart continues to pump. When they reach the hospital, the medical staff begin emergency treatment on Tim. Ruth arrives with friends, and they gather in the hospital waiting room to pray. When they first see the doctors, they know what will be said. They can see it in their eyes. The worst has happened. Tim 
that her vibrant 16-year-old son is dead on Easter Sunday. Easter should not begin like this. Now, our worship this morning has been filled with joy, the joyful announcement, the reminder of the powerful hope of Easter. But that first Easter Sunday, did you notice the reaction of the disciples? It was filled with fear and danger. Look again, we're going to focus on verses 19 through 23. So look again at verse 19 as John lays the scene. John, an eyewitness to the events, one of the disciples gathered in this room. We read in verse 19 of John chapter 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, we're being told what's about to happen and the scene is being set. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Their Savior, their teacher, their hope has been killed, publicly disgraced, beaten, marched out of the city in shame, nailed to a Roman cross. And so they know that their lives, as those publicly associated with Jesus, are under threat. They are behind locked doors on Easter Sunday. But as we, as we look at this passage and Jesus' arrival, I want us to see first that the resurrection brings personal peace. Look, look at what Jesus says to them. That's the, the context that we have. Look at, look at what comes next. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, that's an ordinary greeting, one that you would have heard in ancient times, one you would still hear in modern times if you walked through this part of the world. Peace be with you. But this is no ordinary day. See, the disciples needed a greeting of peace on this day, a day that they don't yet understand is Resurrection Sunday. They don't yet understand that the whole world, the universe, hinges on what has taken place on that morning. And so Jesus will repeat the greeting to them so that they, they don't miss its significance. Look, look again. He'll say it again in verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. See, the hope of the resurrection breaks into the reality that we face, into the pain and the suffering of our own lives. Nick, Nick Ripkin describes learning of his son's death. He writes, in that moment when the doctors stood before us, in that moment, something inside me died. But even in that moment, we were sure about Tim's place in heaven. That reality was a certainty for us, but I was overwhelmed by my loss. I know that, that Ruth, my wife, used the word resurrection on that night, but, but I, I couldn't even think about that. I was focused on death. The pain felt unbearable. Even just this last year now, 20 years on from this horrific experience, Ruth reflects on her crisis of faith. She ponders, she says, I, I, I'd always thought, you be obedient, you go to the mission field, and God is going to take care of everything. And then the reality was that God uses things like that to show himself faithful 
Do you hear what she's saying? God uses the death of a child to prove his faithfulness. She says, and it was on Easter Sunday morning. And so the thoughts of what God must have gone through the day that he saw Jesus on the cross began to become real to me. And as I look back on it, I see God's hand through it all. See, for the resurrection to mean anything, the resurrection has to mean everything. It has to be applicable in every moment of life. Otherwise, it's just a fairy tale, a fable, a a story you tell to sort of cheer yourself up. It has to mean something on the day your child dies. See, what hope do you have? Where do you turn to to make sense of life's tragedies? How do you make sense of the pain and suffering in the world? Can you cling to a hope of heaven? Can you speak the word resurrection in the darkest of moments? Can you find hope in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And, and notice what Jesus does. He, he, he doesn't merely speak words of peace to them. As comforting as those words are, look, at, look again at verse 20. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. He's showing them the wounds. The wounds now gloriously healed by resurrection, but the wounds of crucifixion. The place where the nails pierced his flesh. The place where the spear pierced through his side. He is showing them the reality of his death. He's showing them his body. He has actually bodily, physically been raised from the dead. And, and, and even just the fact that he's inside this room, that he's inside a locked room, they have no explanation. John doesn't even try and explain it to us. It's just that they're locked in a room and suddenly Jesus stands among them with words of peace. Jesus physically is among them with words of peace. Jesus really bodily is among them. See, the resurrection is not a metaphor to change your life. It's not merely an inspirational idea. It is a historical reality. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and Jesus bodily, physically, really rose from the dead. And and, and consider with me the historical reality of the account given to us here by John, one of the eyewitnesses to what has taken place. Because maybe you're here this morning just to be polite, Somebody invited you and you felt it would be harder to say no than it would be to just go and get it over with? I mean, how bad can it be? It's just an hour. I can do anything for an hour except hold my breath. But almost anything I can do for an hour. Or maybe you're here because you're curious. You're wondering, is it true? But you're just not sure. It doesn't make sense. It seems fantastical that a guy who was dead is now standing in a room claiming to be raised from the dead. See, that's not ordinary. See, but, but maybe you're, you're thinking that, that I think this is a story that sort of developed over time. The disciples sort of realized they, were, they had kind of lost out on this whole Jesus momentum thing when he died, and so they came up with a way to, to sort of redeem it to sort of make sense of the last three years that they've missed. And so, so maybe for you, this is a legend. 
maybe it's a legend sort of rooted in the historical experiences of the disciples, but it's not, it's not, it's not real. But, but see, it, just, it, just looking at the verses we're looking at, this doesn't make sense as a legend. Because who would have made it up? The disciples, right? They're the only ones with a motive to make this up. If they made it up, would you tell the story like this? Like, if you were going to make up the story, would you, on the day of your great triumph, on the pivotal moment in history, would you put yourself hiding and afraid? No. No, if you were going to make this story up, if you were a disciple, you wouldn't be doing something as dumb as hiding on the day of the resurrection. What would you be doing? You'd be out preaching this message. You'd be, you'd be claiming the message. See, the disciples all throughout this passage, and you saw it in multiple places, even back in, in verse 9 where I read that, that John is admitting, having, stu- having, having peered into the tomb, he's admitting he still doesn't get it. He's, he sees the grave clothes lying there, the, the stone moved away, and John doesn't get it. If he was making this up, if he was part of the conspiracy, he wouldn't look like such an idiot in the retelling of it. It's the only thing that makes sense of the experience of the disciples. The fact not only that that their whole world is transformed, that they're going to preach a message that doesn't generally make sense to most people. There aren't a lot of people walking around hoping to hear a story about resurrection. The only thing that makes sense of the disciples' experience is that Jesus really was raised from the dead. That Jesus really stood in their midst. That Jesus really announced himself to them. Because not only are they fools here, but they become fools for Christ, willing to give their very lives for the sake of this message. See, what transforms them from men of fear in verse 19 to the description we get in verse 20? They were overjoyed. It's the arrival of the risen Jesus. Verse 20 tells us the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. See, on the day of resurrection, when Jesus repeats that phrase, peace be with you, that common greeting, now, as one commentator says, bore its literal meaning to its fullest extent. It's not merely words that you, you, you say to a shopkeeper while passing by. These are words of transforming power. Peace be with you. Because they are spoken by Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered the grave, the one who brings true, meaningful, lasting, personal peace. Do you have it? Do you know this peace? Do you understand it? If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, do you have hope even in the midst of the chaos of life? At Tim's funeral the Saturday after Easter, Classmates and colleagues, neighbors and friends gather to hear their Kenyan pastor preach a message of resurrection hope. Nick describes the day. He says, after the service, we keep hearing a common refrain. People say to us, your son had been talking to us about Jesus. Or Tim befriended our daughter. Tim befriended our son. How heartening to discover after the fact the witness that Tim had been to so many people. See, the funeral service brings personal peace to the family, hope in the resurrection. But it also reminded them of the mission Jesus has given. 
the mission he's given to the church to announce this good news of resurrection to others. As their son, Timothy, had witnessed to the resurrection during his life, it would witness to the truth of God's love and grace. So we are called as a church to announce the good news of resurrection to others. See, the resurrection gives us personal peace, but the resurrection sends us on a mission. Look at verse 21. Jesus, again announcing peace to them, then gives them a mission. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This is the repetition of the truth we had seen just a couple of chapters before. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, in chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus, praying to God in heaven, says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is is announcing that his mission was to come to give his life on the cross and to be raised from the dead, and he will reign in heaven, but his purpose will be then carried out by the disciples, by the church. You see, that's what's happening here on this first Easter Sunday. He announces to them a message of personal transformation, that the resurrection brings them peace, but he doesn't stop there. He immediately says, as the Father in heaven has sent me, so I am sending you. He doesn't tell them, wait until you get through, get through training, because you guys, earlier this morning, you obviously didn't get it. No, as soon as you understand resurrection hope, you are meant to announce resurrection When the gospel transforms you, then you realize this gospel can transform other people. And and, and so what is it that keeps you from sharing the good news? Is it uncertainty? You're you're not really sure personally if it's true. When you hear the words that Jesus announces, the risen in Jesus announces, peace be with you. Jesus has come to transform you. Or what is it that keeps you from sharing? Maybe it's fear, fear of what others might think, fear perhaps even of your own life because there are many places in the world today where following after Jesus will cost you everything. See, this is not a message that if you follow Jesus, everything from today on is going to be great. No, Ruth understood that message when she went to East Africa. When you go with the gospel message, it doesn't mean that everything is Everything will be perfect in life means there is a perfect life still to come. There is resurrection hope for you. And so if you, if you face fear, then, then look up and see who is standing in front of you. Jesus, the risen king. Jesus, who was crucified, has now been raised from the dead. He is the one who empowers you and strengthens you. And if you feel like, but, but I don't know what I would say. Remember who he's sending These disciples who stare into an open tomb and can't remember that just a few days before, he had said, I must die and then I will be raised from the dead. So you would have thought this is sort of an open book. It's an open tomb test. They should have been able to figure it out. And yet even they can't figure it out. And who is he sending? He's sending them because as soon as the gospel transforms you, you go. And he's not sending you alone. Look at what he does. Look at verse 22. He sends you in his power with his Holy Spirit. Verse 22 says, and with that, he breathed on them 
That's the language of the very beginning of the Bible, of creation. God breathing life into Adam and Eve, but now he breathes new life, spiritual life. He gives the Holy Spirit to his church. You are empowered by God himself with a message that God will give to you. And then what is the church to do, verse 23? To offer forgiveness of sins. If, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. All right, now, Jesus has this tendency to, I think probably because we're translating from, from Aramaic into Greek into English, but he has this tendency to speak in almost what feels like cryptic language, like, wait, 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 what are we talking about? The disciples are now in charge of who gets forgiven and doesn't get forgiven. So they go around sort of picking people like, oh, I'm going to forgive you, but not you. You, no, no, not you. No, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. I mean, I don't normally make you focus too hard on the grammar here, but, but notice with me the way in which this is, this is phrased. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. Not you have forgiven them. It, 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 the forgiveness doesn't come from the disciples. It's put in the passive tense. Then their sins will be forgiven. What Jesus is making clear is he's the one who offers forgiveness. God's the one who brings about the change. Now, how does that happen? How do the disciples decide who is forgiven and not forgiven? They don't. All they're called to do is go with the message. The church's responsibility is to announce good news. God is the one that does the forgiving. Because Jesus has done all of the work. Jesus died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. And so this means today that, that really in this two-point sermon, the resurrection brings you personal peace. Do you have it? And I don't mean just because, well, yeah, I'm here. I checked it off. I, I showed up on Easter. No, I mean, do you personally have resurrection hope? Could you face the death of a child in hope? Not without tears, but in certain hope that what Jesus has said is true. So what Jesus is demanding of every one of us, what the gospel has been pushing us toward, is that we must respond to this message. Now, a week from, from this day that we read, if you continue reading this gospel, Thomas, who somehow is not there, he must be hiding, locked in a different room at his own house, perhaps. But, but he's not there, and, and so, so he doesn't believe until he can, he can see it. But when he does come to understand the message, what does he do? He falls down, and he announces to Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's what the gospel is demanding of us, what the story that John is telling demands of us. It demands every one of us declare Jesus to be the Lord and God, personally. Not, not merely historically, not merely for someone else, not merely to say, well, this is good news. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it, but it's, it's just not for me. No, do you have this personal peace? It's not a promise of a life free from turmoil, but it is a promise of a life filled with peace, peace even in turmoil. It's the promise of a life filled with joy, not because you count up the treasure you've accumulated or the experiences of fun that you've had, but because you have a certain hope, a guarantee of resurrection because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so if you want this peace, 
If you hear the call of Jesus, then admit that you are a sinner. That you are one who needs to be forgiven. When you hear the announcement of forgiveness, don't say, well, that's good news for other people who are really bad. No, admit to yourself. Admit to God, I am a sinner. I could not have rescued myself. I could not scrub myself clean. Put your trust in Jesus alone. Turn from your sins and find forgiveness in Jesus. See, the resurrection gives us personal peace, but, but secondly, we've seen the resurrection sends us on a mission. We have been sent by Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. Not to, not to die on the cross, not, that work is accomplished, but you are continuing the mission of Jesus Christ. As a church, you have the very words of Jesus Christ that you take. You have been commissioned by the risen Savior with a message of gospel hope. See, the resurrection changes everything, personally, for us as a church, corporately. There's nothing greater than the message of the resurrection. These disciples will risk everything. Almost all of them will give up everything for this message. But it's a message that moved them from fear to freedom, from terror to joy. See, God may ask you to go to somewhere far away. God may send you to East Africa with the message. Or he may ask you to walk across the street. He is demanding that you offer forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ to the world. The resurrection brings us personal peace. The resurrection sends us on a mission. Nick and Ruth were surprised at Tim's funeral when a Muslim friend from Mogadishu arrived. Nick describes it. He says, Omar Aziz, our senior Somali staff member, appeared at our front door. I was stunned to hear him say, I have walked here from Somalia. I had to come help bury Timothy. As soon as he had received word of Tim's death, this dear Muslim friend had started a five-day odyssey. He had walked through minefields, through deserts, across mountains. He had crossed rivers and national borders. He had hitched rides. He had ridden on cattle trucks. And he had arrived at our home hundreds of miles later with only the clothes on our back, on his back. See, Omar knew the love of Nick and Ruth. He knew Timothy's love. But he didn't understand God's love. After the funeral, when Omar was back in Somalia, he explained this, that what he had experienced in the funeral to his friends. He, he says, there's one thing I don't understand about that funeral. Nick and Ruth buried Timothy, a son they loved with all their hearts. During the service, many people were talking about Tim. People were singing, people were crying. But everyone seemed to know that Tim was in paradise. Why can't we? Why can't we Muslims know that our loved ones are in paradise when they die? Why is it that only these followers of Jesus know exactly what happens after death, exactly where they are going? We bury our people, we weep, we walk away, and we do not know where our loved ones are. 
But it was Omar's final question which haunts Nick. Why? Why have Jesus' followers kept this truth from us? As Omar drove Nick to the airport for the family to return to the United States, Nick shares the good news again with Omar. I believe that God has been speaking to you. You have heard the message. Over many years, through a lot of different people, Omar, God is calling you to Jesus. Today, God is calling you. Will you put your trust in him? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ offers to you forgiveness. He extends to you his greeting of peace, personal peace, and a corporate message. We can't leave our friends and neighbors asking that question, why? Why have Jesus' followers kept this message from us? Church, we have good news. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I ask that you would give us hope today. For those of us that come unwilling even perhaps to be honest enough with ourselves to admit the depth of our pain, the depth of our sorrow, the the sadness that we carry with us. Lord, we don't know how to make sense of of this world, let alone how to make sense of death and the, the life in the world to come. And so, Lord, I pray that you, through the peace that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that you would transform us. You would give us personal peace in the resurrection. Father, I rejoice in the hope of the gospel and pray that in the simplicity of this message, you would transform our hearts that we would be able to announce the good news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is our true hope, our living hope. Jesus, the King of kings, we pray in his name. Amen.